What we found was the moments that have the most impact on loyalty, on customer loyalty, are either high emotional elements and the second place is the journeys where they get the distinct value of the organization. So to me, retention and customer experience go hand in hand, right? All of those elements have to be done with an eye towards what's the right experience that people need to have and how do you create value for them so they want to stay and buy more. Hello, my name is Lauren D'Souza, and you're listening to Retain, the Customer Retention Podcast. More and more companies are wanting to focus on retaining customers, but what exactly are the powers of customer retention? And how are companies using it to keep their customers coming back for more? That's what we're here to find out. All right, welcome back to the show, everybody. Today, it is my honor to speak with customer experience expert, Bruce Temkin. As the head of Qualtrics XM Institute, Bruce works with the world's most comprehensive resource for experience management professionals. Bruce is also the co-founder and chairman emeritus of the Customer Experience Professional Association. Often referred to as the godfather of customer experience, Bruce is renowned for defining and propelling the disciplines of customer experience and experience management. Welcome to the show, Bruce. Thanks. Thanks for having me. I'm really excited about our conversation today because I think as we head into 2023, we'll be seeing quite a shift in trends and the way that we talk about experience. But before we dive into all of that, yes, for those of you who can't see his camera, he's shaking his hands because I feel strategy is about to be dropped and wisdom is about to be bestowed upon us. So I'm really excited about that. But before all of that, let's talk about your background, your experience first. Sure. It's funny. I People always ask, how did you get here? What did you do? How did you plan to become you know, the head of the Qualtrics XM Institute or anything like that? And I have to say, honestly, I never planned it. I started my career as an engineer designing submarine missile systems. And so you can't start off on a trajectory that is so far away from that. But what drew me to, I think, ultimately this field is I like really complex, gnarly issues. So throughout my career, I was drawn not to functional areas, not to accounting, not even to engineering, even though I was an engineer, not to customer service. or I was drawn to the interaction between those organizations, the things that no one ever looked at. So early in my career, I did that right after I got my grad school, my MBA. I focused as an internal consultant at GE, looking at those thorny cross-functional issues. And it all came together for me when I was at Forrester Research for like 12 years. And I started to focus more on what was at that point, sort of the user experience world. And I realized that all my work around how organizations operate, how strategy works inside of companies, how people interact in different settings really, really was the additional secret sauce to be added to what back then was just user experience world to make a domain and a discipline that would be useful and impactful across an organization. So I started to think about like, how can you take some of these other disciplines and really apply them at scale so that an organization can better understand and better serve 
the human beings that are so critical. And I would say the human beings are not just the customers, they're the employees, the partners, all of the key stakeholders. So you asked a short question, you got a long answer. And well, the last thing I would say is, here's how I think about myself. I am a student of human beings, right? My work is around understanding how human beings think, feel, and behave in different settings, right? When they're customers, when they're employees, when they're happy, when they're unhappy, when they're stressed. And when I start to understand that, then I can help organizations deal with those human beings at scale. Right. And I feel like with being a student of human beings, which I really like how you put that because it so well encompasses everything that you do as a professional. But I feel like with the study of that comes a lot of changes in behavior and the way that customers operate year over year. So when you started in the industry, what was the industry's attitude towards customer experience? And has it shifted a lot during that time, do you think? Yeah. So when I started, there was no feeling about customer experience. I remember in 2002, I wrote a report, forget about CRM, focus on customer experience. And at that point, there was no discipline around, no one knew what it meant. No one had any voice of the customer program. Those things didn't exist. But what I had seen was that the field of CRM was taken over way too much by the technology and people weren't focusing on actually how they were going to change the way they deal with their customers. And so back then, no discipline, no professionals in the field. Doesn't mean there weren't things happening, right? Most companies had an annual customer survey, right? Which was a big research project. They did nothing. <laughs> I would say that was when it started. There was nothing. Then in 2008, there was the recession. And what happened was, it was really interesting that all of the organizations that I dealt with were cutting back across the board, but the one place they were investing more in was in customer experience. So between 2002 and 2008, we had built up at least enough view on what customer experience was that people were focused. So my business inside of Forrester was booming. The whole world was collapsing. My customer experience business was booming. And that's because this gets at the retention thing, right? Because in difficult times, people understand the value of their existing customers in a more profound way than they do in other times, right? Because if you think about a world you're in, right? If I live in a world where I have two modes I can focus in, I can acquire or I can retain and expand, right? The more conducive the environment is to finding new customers, then the more focused there will be. But as soon as you squeeze out parts of the opportunity for expanding into new markets and building new customers, you start to go, oh my God, I have to think about the organic growth, the organic retention, the organic expansion of my existing customers. And oh, by the way, that's what customer experience is all about. How do we treat customers in the appropriate ways so that they become even better customers for us. Yeah, that's really interesting. And I think what you bring up about 2008 is also interesting considering there's a lot of talks about a recession potentially happening, economic downturn, things happening this year where I'm sure people have come to you and said, Bruce, what do I do? Because I'm sure retention is even more a topic than it was last year. And actually, like you said, 
we found that a lot of digital marketing agencies, a lot of people who are focused on the entire customer lifecycle are finding how do we balance the perfect balance between acquisition and retention? Because the thing is, you can't have one without the other. And they are interdependent in terms of when you acquire the customer, what happens if they just drop off? That's not really, there's no point to acquiring the customer if that's the case. And so what I think is interesting about your point is that all that's rooted in the experience management and really getting down to the granular details of those strategies. So have you found that over the years and the shift that you've experienced, do you think that your approach has changed to experience management or is it adapting to the times that are happening in front of you? Yeah, it's funny. I go back in 2010, we created the Temkin Group. And I've gone back and looked at the research reports that we wrote 2010, 2011. All the advice we gave back then is consistent now. So I don't think the underlying focus around customer experience has changed. What has changed is some of the tools have gotten better. So, you know, I work at Qualtrics. Qualtrics enables a whole bunch of things that weren't, certainly weren't available in 2008, never in 2002. So the tech has made some things more possible. I think there are more experience management professionals around the world so that the things that I was talking about with almost no one in 2002 and a few people in 2008 and 2010, now there's professionals around the world who can take those practices and enhance them and make customer experience more viable across organizations. So yeah, I think, you know, at the end of the day, one of the things that I always come back to is the nature of an organization and the nature of people haven't changed that much in decades. So the advice and the focus in general hasn't shifted, but we're doing a lot more about the things we know. No, that's really interesting. And I think a couple of times, obviously, you've mentioned the XM Institute, and I'm sure tons of people know what Qualtrics is because, again, very powerful tool. But Let's dive into more about what the XM Institute's all about, because for those who are listening who may not know, it'll obviously provide some context to where all your experience and your wisdom on this comes from. Sure. So um, the XM Institute is a small group inside of Qualtrics, and our mission is to empower and inspire XM professionals around the world to radically improve human experiences. And we wake up every morning focusing on the people doing the work, right? So we do research and publish and create tools so that those professionals are both empowered and inspired. We definitely have the most robust library of useful XM content in the world. And what's cool about it, we have over, probably approaching 800 assets. That's huge. Yeah, we published over 80 of them last year. We're just, we're, we're a publishing machine. And what we do is create things that we believe are going to be useful for XM professionals. And the reason we can do that is my team has, about half my team are seasoned XM experts. So they have run experience management, employee experience, customer experience programs, at very large organizations. So they understand what the people need. So that's one of the things we do. The other thing is we lead a community. We have a community of over 7,000 experience management professionals around the world where we run 
monthly events, quarterly events, and we have a nonstop flow of activities for them. And what's pretty cool about it, it's all for free. Wow, that's incredible. Yeah, no, it's amazing. So my company, Kempkin Group, was acquired by Qualtrics in 2018. Ah, I see. Congratulations. That's awesome. Thank you, thank you. <laughs> but we came on board to create the XM Institute. And one of the reasons about joining Qualtrics was that a lot of the things that we needed to charge for as a small company, we could now give away as part of Qualtrics to help the entire community get better. And you can deliver the impact in such a large and grand way and bring that vision to life, which is really cool. Exactly. You got it. Wow. I really love that. That's so awesome. And when did the XM Institute launch? So we were fired in 2018 and we launched the Institute in 2019. And so I feel like it's really interesting because you really shaped that whole Institute being launched and curating that community. And also, I can't imagine how wonderful the experience is with a bunch of experienced management professionals. So I'm sure it's a really great thing to be a part of. Oh, oh my God. Yes. <laughs> so I have to, since you said it, I will emphasize that point. I have the best team on earth. So all of your listeners, you may have a great team. I hope you have a great team. I hope you love your team. I hope you love working with everyone you are, you are working with. But unfortunately, the best you can have is the second best team on earth because <laughs> I possess the best. That's awesome. And I love how much radiance there is around that. Like you really just enjoy everything about what you do, what you put your effort and time into. So I think that really shows. So out of all of that, including your team, what do you enjoy most about your role at the Institute? So I always say that like my two superpowers, I. When I coach people, I always ask them about their superpowers, Yeah. right? That my two superpowers are learning and simplifying. And those are the things that I love doing at the Institute. I love to learn, right? I'm always pushing. I always feel like there's a ton of stuff that I don't know or I don't understand or I don't quite have a handle on. So I'm always learning. And then I get jazzed when I learn something and I'm able to communicate it in a simple enough form that other people go, oh my goodness, that makes so much sense. I could have said that, or I could have come up with that, but that's really powerful. And so I really get jazzed when I'm able to uncover something that I can share with other people in a very useful, meaningful, accessible way. Well, I'm happy you're in the position that you are because clearly you are doing that day in, day out. And actually, just on a personal note, I really believe in the idea of learning and simplifying going hand in hand because if you deeply understand something, you can make it so simple for others to understand because you actually really understand what you're learning, really understand what you're trying to communicate. So I feel like there's a magic in that of being able to distill that information. It's funny. So my wife knows when I'm processing some learning, <laughs> right? Because, you know, when I'm going from learning in my head, trying to deeply learn and trying to decipher and trying to simplify, usually it means that my head is elsewhere. Like this background processing that I'm just trying to work. Like parsing on a constant basis. <laughs> exactly, exactly. <laughs> and so she can always tell when like I'm just in that zone because I just can't let it go. Yeah, because your brain is just working at 110% trying to process all the information. Only when it's like, ding, it's done, then yeah. <laughs> you're probably just in the clouds thinking about what you're thinking about. <laughs> 
That's, that's me. Speaking of, let's dive into picking your brain on things like customer retention and customer experience, because obviously that's what we like to talk about here. And I'm, again, so yeah. excited to dive into your view on things, because also earlier when I was checking out the XM Institute and learning more and just trying to give myself some context around our conversation, I saw that the theme for this year was empathy. And so I obviously will hand it to you because you're the expert in this, but let's start off maybe by talking about your view on retention and experience and how they work together, how that affects the company, and then maybe we can segue into empathy after that. Yeah, so I think it's really important for customer experience professionals to heavily, heavily, heavily focus on retention. Because retention means, let's put aside customers who are trapped. Lots of companies have customers who are contractually obligated to stay. And so we'll put those aside because you can hold on to customers through contractual means or other ways of making it difficult to switch. Put those aside. In order for customer experience professionals to do their job, they need to understand what are the experiences and the value that customers need in order to encourage them to stay and even to buy more, right, to expand, right? So you see experience as a subset of retention almost? Well, two things. I think it's experience and value. Right, okay. Because I think that at the end of the day, if you just give them the experience they want without the value, that's not enough. If you give them the value they need without the experience, that's not enough. When we looked at a bunch of customer journeys and tried to understand which ones had the most impact on loyalty, and what we found was the moments that have the most impact on loyalty, on customer loyalty, are either high emotional elements, so places where they really care about something like tech support or customer service, and the second place is the journeys where they get the distinct value of the organization. So if you think about it in insurance, it was during a claim because the claim journey is actually the moment where you get the value from the company that you were buying to begin with. So to me, retention and customer experience go hand in hand, right? And then in order to actually retain customers, you then need to layer on top of that organization or a group. And in B2B, it's oftentimes a good customer success organization and process it around that. But all of those elements have to be done with an eye towards what's the right experience that people need to have and how do you create value for them so they want to stay and buy more. Right. That's actually really interesting. I never thought about it that way. Or I mean, putting it together so simply, <laughs> you simplifying it for me was really helpful because that actually makes it pretty easy, in my opinion, to figure out how you can do that in your business. Do you have an example of a company that does that really well, do you think? So I, I think that, I mean, there's a bunch of them that do really well. I think ServiceNow does some cool things because what they've done is they've triggered workflows off of customer responses. So customer says, I'm happy or I need this or what they've done is when you start to have like immediate response to what customers are saying, you increase the learning in the organization. And so almost by default, you're customizing and adapting to what their needs are, right? So you're creating a constant learning environment. 
you know, you have other companies like USAA does it innately, right? USAA does a great job of staying highly focused on a particular segment of customers and always asking the question, what do they need now, right? What do we have to do to help them in this moment? What are they going through? And raising the empathy level for those customers. Yeah. And when you work with clients or you're developing research around this kind of thing, do you offer any specific frameworks or strategies or approaches to doing something like that? Great question. And we have lots of frameworks because, you know, I always say like the discussions like this are meant to inspire people to think differently. So I want to inspire people to think differently and have clarity and then provide frameworks to help them actually feel empowered to then make the change. So I'd say our dominant model are our six experience management competencies. So we have six competencies, lead, realize, activate, enlighten, respond, and disrupt. I won't go through all of them. Believe me, I could, and we can spend time. But the idea of having the six competencies is they go from everything from the front end, how do you think about governance, and how do you think about the uh, centers of excellence that you're building out in your organization, to then how do you take action on insights and drive your organization to change, to how do you disrupt about how do you innovate around the experience design. So the idea of having a robust competency model allows us to talk to organizations who might have a, a fairly narrow point of view on what they're gonna do with their insights and feedback to then say, sure, you're looking at a piece of what you need to do, but you really need to check the boxes and look at, I shouldn't say check the boxes, not metaphorically, right? But you really need to think about all six of these areas if you're going to drive change. That's interesting. But I do want to bring it back to the empathy because I'm still very curious about this. Do you think that empathy is the main theme of 2023 in experience management? Or tell me a little bit more about empathy in 2023. Yeah. So for the last decade, my team has been labeling, giving the year a theme. And the reason we do that is it helps us galvanize the community, the global community of experience management professionals around a particular topic. And so we think how this last year it was agility. This year is empathy. And so for us, as we looked at the year, we said, you know, the, we're just all getting past COVID not completely, but the really critical components of the thick of it. We're facing a potential economic downturn. There's war going on. The political discourse is horrible. Times right? are tough. <laughs> yeah. And we felt like, you know, we really need to push empathy. That's awesome. What I really like about that is that you almost provide the context and the foundation of thinking, and then everybody contributes to that. But I think that's a good point to bring the discussion to the end because we're also coming to my favorite part of the conversation. Actually, I've had a lot of favorite parts. I take that back because I learned so much today, as I'm sure all the listeners did. But one of my favorite parts of the show is something new that we've introduced, which is the lightning round. And so three really quick questions, they make you think. And to get to know more about you 
and who you are as a very interesting person. So first question, what's the biggest win you've had in your career? Creating the Customer Experience Professionals Association. Interesting. I thought you were going to say the XM Institute, but I forgot that you also had that incredible accomplishment of the association. And why is that? I know I'm adding a question, but I'm curious. Yeah, yeah, no, 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 because it was a the field didn't exist and we created out of nothing a professional association when there wasn't even a profession. So we both created the profession and the association around that profession simultaneously. Well, congratulations. Okay, second question. Which brand do you think has enormous potential in the marketing industry? If I think about it like a brand that has the opportunity to expand even more, well, I still think that Amazon and Google, if I think about brands that can be really extended, Amazon can be extended because it makes the experience of shopping so much easier. And that brand about easy can go into categories and more categories and more categories, right? So just keep going. <laughs> just keep going on a consumer side, right? And Google, I think, Google, because we're going to be living in a world where there's more data, more information available, that the world is going to become much more reliant on AI assistance to learn and to handle activities on our behalf. And I think Google as a brand and also as a set of underlying data capabilities is well positioned to help people in that new world. That's really interesting and a great answer to a lightning round. But last question, the lightning round is, if you could go back in time to another century, where would you go and what would you like to try and market to them? I wouldn't go back. Ah, interesting. <laughs> Here's what I would do. So if we have centuries, I would go back to the middle of the 20th century. So I'm going to cheat. I go back to when I was born, right? And if I could bring what I know now to when I was born, right? I would try more things earlier in life. Like I would now be one of the best guitarists on earth. <laughs> who said you still can't be? <laughs> yeah, yeah, who says? But I would have like started as a kid. I would have <laughs> kept it going. And one of the quotes that I like is that one of the two best times to plant a tree, the best time is 20 years ago. The second best time is right now to get at your point. So anyway, that's not a great answer, but I think that given all the information I have, that's what I would do. I go back and I tried more things as a kid. Love that. And I have one closing that I always do on the show, which is basically a piece of advice for the listeners, because that's always a really nice way to end the show, in my opinion. So with that, is there a piece of marketing or life advice that someone shared with you once that has stayed with you? And you can't use the best time to plant a tree. <laughs> so I'm going to go with a piece of hard advice, because I think we're going to be facing potentially difficult economic times, which is going to make it difficult personal times potentially for some people. And so when you're in business, when I was working at GE and I worked for Jack Welsh, one of the things he pounded into my head, and it's central to what I tell people all the time and advice I give people, is deal with the world as it is, not how you'd like it to be. And I find that while that seems obvious, many people 
are making decisions based on how they want the world to look, mm-hmm. right? And if you make decisions based on that and not how it really is, you make bad decisions. So you have to deal with the truth, no matter how good, no matter how bad it is, but ground yourself in the reality of the world you're dealing with and make decisions accordingly. Retain the Customer Retention Podcast is brought to you by Gameball. To find out how you can turn visitors and occasional buyers into loyal, lifetime customers, head to Gameball.co. Make sure to subscribe to Retain the Customer Retention Podcast in Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts, so you never miss an episode. Thanks for joining me, and I'll see you next time.